0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm here with the incredible Michelle Pelizon. She is the CEO and founder of Holisticism, a wellness platform that bridges the gap between the mystic and the realistic. Super excited to have you on, Michelle. I was recently on her podcast a couple of weeks back, and I'm super happy we connected. So thank you for coming on my show.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's, it's good to talk again.
0: Good to talk again. So... On this podcast, we love hearing about every type of perspective. We love to dive in to personal development, business anything that helps us become the better version of ourselves. And the what and the how is such an important thing to talk about. So you are big in astrology, human design. And from what I've seen online, you are a self-proclaimed witch, which I can't wait to get into. Mm -hmm. I would love to, first of all, hear about how you got into this work originally. And then if we could dive a little bit more into this type of astrology, human design, witchy type of work, because... I would love to learn more about it. And I know the audience, but as well.
1: Yeah, totally. I just want to preface, I'm not an, a professional astrologer or human design reader, but they are two tools that I really like to use in addition to cognitive behavioral therapy and... um Lots of other, you know, modalities and tricks and tools and hacks that we can use to understand ourselves and self-actualize. So that's kind of my perspective when it comes to all of this stuff. And, um, I think that intuition is at the root of pretty much everything that we do. And, um, or I know that it is at the root of everything that we do. And in my experience, learning about my own human design and learning about astrology, has helped me trust my intuition more. Um, but there are plenty of ways to do that. You know, there's there's plenty of different modalities that you can try out um, to just like tap in and start to trust yourself more.
0: Yeah, for sure. So how do you feel that they're interconnected? Because I'd love to learn about that. Some people think that astrology and human design are the same thing. I, I know that they aren't. I, I know my signs and stuff, but I haven't yeah. really, I know, you know, it's, it's a, it's something that you have to learn a lot about. And it seems like, you know, a lot about it, even though you're not an astrologer or, um, you know, expert in human design, I'd love to kind of know how you combine the two and decide what you're going to take from each modality and practice and what you're going to leave behind.
1: Yeah. So I think with, and, any meaning-making system. So as humans, we are attracted to meaning-making systems because we live in a chaotic world. We live in a chaotic universe, like inherently chaotic, right? Um, Where we really can't understand or know or predict the future and the outcomes that are going to happen. Like we kind of are at the mercy of this chaotic, beautiful place, right? Um this chaotic, beautiful time and space continuum. So as human beings, our brains love to make meaning of anything that we see and anything that we experience. That's why religion is so popular. (laughs) That's why philosophy and the search for meaning has been at the root of pretty much everything we've done as human beings since the dawn of time. So astrology, human design, Myers-Briggs, um, Gosh, I'm trying to think of like other meaning-making systems. Scientism; these are all meaning-making systems. They're ways through which we view the world, a lens through which we can understand the world, and start to say, "Oh, okay, because this, then that." I would say even law of attraction is a meaning-making system that people use to make sense of the world, to find peace in the world. So. With any meaning-making system, the first thing that we need to know is that it exists, that it is a lens, and that it's a choice. Period. Full stop. Right. Like, even if you're like, "But this is the right choice," it's still a choice, yeah. you know. And with any choice or any lens, we can also probably guess that, like, not a hundred percent of everything that's in that meaning-making system is a hundred percent true. Like, there might be elements or aspects to it that are true, but you know, there might be some things that you want to take with a grain of salt. I think when we kind of like can look at anything with that more nuanced lens as opposed to black or white, like this is either 100% right or it's 100% wrong and I need to throw it in the garbage can, um, that offers us so much more room to play and understand our world. And also to try things on and decide truly what for ourselves, for like when we happen with ourselves, what really makes sense for us. I love in that perspective.
0: Lives. I love that perspective. It all comes down to beliefs, right? You know, someone can yeah. really believe in this one thing, and and maybe it's the placebo effect that that then creates their life if they truly believe in something. Um, totally. So yeah, that that's a really great way to think of it. So, in your opinion, which kind of modality has helped you the most with your beliefs and and your life?
1: Yeah, I think honestly, human design has changed the way that I work. And I think... So I was a professional dancer. I grew up um, in California, moved to New York to become a professional dancer and danced all over the world. And it was great. It was really cool. But when you're a performer, you're often at the whim of other people, right? Casting agents and choreographers and this, that and the other. um especially when you're first getting started. And so I was super superstitious when I first got started. Every audition I'd go to, I have like a routine, almost like borderline like OCD stuff.' I, I'm not making light of OCD, but like these things that I had to go through and I was reading a lot of spiritual texts at the time and a lot of Deepak Chopra and um, it wasn't always that helpful. You know, like I always, I kind of felt like I'm doing all the positive thinking. I'm like, I'm, I'm trying, I'm really trying here. I'm doing, I'm following all the rules, all the steps, but like, I'm not getting the outcome that I want. And human design was one of those things that really shifted from like, Shifted my perspective in a positive way because I got really jaded, and I don't know if you can relate to this, Mimi. But I feel like people often, on their spiritual journey, they start out super enthusiastic and earnest, and then they get burned one too many times, and they're like, "Everything's bullshit. (laughs) Everything spiritual is bullshit. Everything personal development is bullshit." Do you know what I mean? I totally know what you
0: mean. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. And you know, I for me personally, it's about like the effort, like when in the past, when I put so much effort into growth and just it was this hard thing and it was really intense. That's actually when I realized that I wasn't in my ease and my flow and my feminine. And it's funny because when I'm in my feminine and my flow and I'm simply just acting as I am who I want to be and I love myself now and I'm just embodying this energy, then that's when life gets easier for me. So I've experienced more in that way when it's like trying so hard because I want it so badly and I hate where I am so much. And then nothing seems to to change. But then when you kind of, you know, take back the reins a little bit and allow yourself to just like Be this beautiful being that you are and to know that it's on its way. That's why one of my favorite affirmations is it's already on its way. Like, don't worry, you know? So that's for me personally, what my lived experience, but I, I totally can see what you mean. And I have a sister who really struggled with serious OCD as a kid. So I can understand what it looks like firsthand. You know, like she would have to, when she was very young or like 10 years old, like she'd have to like touch the light a certain amount yep. of times. And in her mind, it's like, okay, mom's going to die if I don't do this. Yeah. Like, you know, I can't step on the crack on, you know, so she's bit, like, she went through that and it was kind of, you know, just, it was scary as her younger sister to see that. Cause it's like, you know, it's, it can be so intense and overwhelming. So I can't imagine what that would have been like. So how did you, Get out of that if you don't mind me asking.
1: Well, I think I I went like in the opposite direction, right? Where I was like, I'm 100% responsible. Like, I can't, I can't like leave this up to fate or God or the universe or whomever, whatever, because it's not fucking working. So, so I need to just do it. And like, yeah. And I'm a pretty driven person. So I I found that that worked for a period of time for me. But I also did you burn out uh, from
0: it or and you felt.
1: Yeah. Totally. It was so burned out. Um, I also, I have epilepsy, which is a seizure disorder. So, um, I started having seizures when I was like around 17. And so I had like this interesting, I had a lot like going on, you know, of like when you're out of control of your body or you have a chronic illness, um, and you also maybe feel out of control with your, the, like your purpose, what you want to do in your life. That's really dysregulating. And, um, the level that you'll sort of grind at to have some semblance of control. I mean, like for so many people, that's controlling what we eat, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or how we're perceived, but trying to control how we're perceived by other people, which leads to codependency. Uh, A lot of that stuff came up for me and it just, I was putting so much energy out that eventually I just totally burned out. Um, But I found human design. Actually the day that I started holisticism, I had my first human design reading and Basically, there are five different types, and a really great reader will walk you through the sort of nuances and distinction of each type. But the the thought process behind human design is that it integrates astrology and the I Ching and um, a couple other modalities to tell you about your success path. Mm-hmm. Basically, what's your strategy for attaining success? Not just financial success, or you know, like let's say. Fame and fortune, but also like becoming the most self-actualized version of who you could possibly be or what your soul could be in this lifetime. Part of what human design believes is that we choose our vessels. So um I, I can't remember how many months into a pregnancy it is, but I think it might be six months in. Your, your soul chose your body to be born on a specific day because it they it knew, okay this body will be born on this day and have this karma attached to this physical vessel. And your soul was like, "Bet that sounds great. Love that for me. I want that. That's my choice. And I'm going to take the gifts that come with it. And I'm going to take the maybe challenges that come with it too. And I just think that's really cool. <laughs> like Just as a, as a person, I think that that's really cool. But I also loved the idea of, Having a strategy that was unique to me and it made a lot of sense that there were some strategies that worked amazingly well for other people. But when I tried them, it was like a Led Zeppelin, right? It just didn't work. Um, and as soon as I started using my strategy, I'm a projector, which means I have to wait for an invitation from other people. Um, it was like so easy it it was like stupid easy. My life became stupid easy, but pretty much. And um, it was just like it unlocked so much for me.
0: Wow. That's really cool. And so how, when it relates to astrology, you're a projector and then what's your sun sign, let's just say.
1: Yeah. I'm a Pisces sun, Cancer rising, Scorpio moon. So I'm all water signs. I'm pretty intuitive. And I always loved astrology growing up. My mom used to read me horoscopes from the back of Vanity Fair when I was really young. And, um, you know, she's a Capricorn. So she was like, you know, they're silly little things, but I took it very seriously. Um, very, very seriously. And, uh, got really into it in college and just have always kind of been curious about how people work. Right. I think like most of us are, <laughs> especially people who, um, make their business or their life, um, developing and working with other people. We want to understand what makes them t- tick and like why, what motivates them. And I think astrology can help us have more compassion and understanding and empathy for the people around us and why they might think or work in a different way than we do.
0: Right. That's very cool. So I know with astrology and probably human design, there's... um the way that people discovered this was through like the stars and the planets. Do you know anything about that? More of like the, like the how this was created. Um, I'd love to know if you do know anything about that. Cause I'm not sure. It depends. There's a couple of different,
1: like, and I'm not, again, I'm not a professional astrologer, nor am I a professional human design reader. So there are so many other people out there who could definitely walk you through it. Uh, but there's ancient astrology. And there's also and and some astrology is more Western based. There's also Eastern astrology. Pretty much every tradition has some sort of meaning making system and like personality assessment based on the cosmos. So if we look like across cultures, we're going to find that, um, you know, like Chinese astrology or even the I Ching. Um, those are meaning-making spiritual meaning-making systems too, that, that people still use. So it really depends on like what sect you're looking at.
0: Okay, cool. We'll I'll have to look into that a little bit more. Um, yeah. and then can we talk about this witchcraft thing a little bit? Cause this is like the first time I've heard of this and I'd love to, I was stalking your TikTok and I'm like, oh, I want to talk to her about this. Cause this is kind of cool. And then you had all these comments from other women being like, Oh yeah, me too. And it's this like whole community. Can we talk like, what is like the modern witchcraft and like, how do you practice it? And like, tell me a little bit about this.
1: Yeah. So I think like there's a couple of things always, as always with what's trending in the zeitgeist, um, the term witch has like definitely been appropriated by patriarchy to describe problematic and difficult women. Um, and I think a lot of people can relate to that in in our like modern age of maybe being called difficult or, um, Unwieldy, and this uh, there's this economist who I love, um, economist and socialist Sylvia Federici. She's a she's she's like an academic, um, but she talks about how the beginning of the witch trials and um, in Europe. Coincided with the organization of capitalism, so the primitive accumulation, and how those two things came together at the same time for a very specific reason and very intentionally. Effectively, when we moved from, do you know about the primitive accumulation and about like the origins of capitalism? No, I don't. Tell me Great. about yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> Let me know if this is like too, I don't know, too boring. I, listen, but...
0: No, I love hearing <laughs> yeah. everyone's views. I have people on the podcast from every single type of background and view. I love it. I like to soak up as much as I can and learn from everybody that I can. So please, like, I'd love to hear about this.
1: Well, I think it it, it gives us good context on this word, which, and kind of where it comes yes. from. Let's do it. So uh, the primitive accumulation was when capitalism basically came into form. Before capitalism, we had feudalism, which was when we would share common space, common land, there would be a feudal lord, and then there would be like a, you know, a, a group of townspeople who would all share that land and partake in the resources on that land in exchange for working it, right? Or or doing their role, playing their role in the community. So when capitalism came to sort of be the way that we existed in the world, that meant that people owned land privately. Instead of sharing the land, you would own that because you wanted to have that capitalization or that sort of resource accessible to you and only you because you could then monetize it. So at this time, basically people were partitioned off land. And if you were an older woman, let's say who was not of childbearing age, who maybe wasn't married, and who probably, after a certain point, couldn't be working in the fields and providing labor that was totally generative or easy to make money off of. You were basically just holding on to that land and to those assets and not um, contributing. So you can imagine the word labor, when we give labor, like when we're in labor, giving birth to a child is also related to labor as in like Doing actual labor for work. There's a reason for that. Women were in the reason women got pregnant and the reason women were valuable is because they could create more labor. They could literally create more workers, right? So if that is your primary function in a capitalist society at the beginning of capitalism, then if you can't do that, you're not valuable. And if you can't work the land, then you're not valuable either. So Sylvia Federici says, um, you know, her thesis is that. These witch hunts, witches, often were older single women who lived on the outskirts of society, usually because they lived by themselves. They didn't have a husband. They maybe didn't have children uh, living with them. And people wanted their land. So what better way to get them off of that space or out of there than to sort of like say, Oh, she's a witch, <laughs> burner at the stake. Um, and then your assets get transferred to someone who can actually use them. So it's a really interesting sort of, you know, what do yeah. you think? Let me pause for a second. What do you think about that? Well, all
0: I think about right now is how once the psychic told my mom that in the past life, she was a witch and she was stoned to death. So that's what yeah. I'm thinking. I'm like, oh my God, mom, now I know. Now I yeah. know where you were.
1: Seriously. like yeah. I mean, it's it's legit. And there are still witch hunts that happen. Um,
0: that's crazy. Like,
1: that, that are still happening today, which is really really insane um and we proudly talk about being witches you know in north america and and in northern europe but that's not a like safe thing to call yourself in a lot of um in a lot of cultures but i think we've reclaimed a lot of people have identified and re- rec- identified with and reclaimed that title of witch because it represents like an independent woman right someone who isn't just here to make babies and then be um Disposable or viewed as disposable. Um, someone who has their own unique source of power and, um, and like can stand in that power. So I think from a sort of like that perspective, that's a nice term to use. But for me, I'm Italian. So, um, I grew up with an Italian grandmother and an Italian, big Italian family. And there was a ton of, ton of things that my grandparents did that, As I study Italian witchcraft, um, I realize like our Italian witchcraft traditions. And um, I think it's really cool how many people are reclaiming their own ancestry as opposed to appropriating spiritual beliefs or practices from other cultures and looking into their ancestry and realizing that witchcraft or magic or folk magic. Is a really big part of a lot of um, European traditions, as well as like Latin American or Mesoamerican traditions. So I think that that's why there's sort of like this hand in hand reason that the term witch is gaining in popularity, in my opinion.
0: Cool. This is awesome. I'm definitely learning something new. So when someone that you pick off the street, Tries to des- describe which you know, usually they think of potions and magic. How does the description from the history, like, do you know how those have linked? Um, obviously being an independent woman is one thing, but then also like creating magic or po- like, that's what I think of when I think of the word witch, like totally. how are those related?
1: Well think about like what if we go back to feudal Europe. <laughs> sorry sorry for the European history lesson, but if we go back to like feudal Europe or when we lived together in community, um often like the women were the people who would help give birth to babies, right? Like yeah. as doulas, midwives, we didn't call them doulas, midwives whatever. Um they would also have knowledge of like herbalism in order to treat illness, to to keep people healthy, um, to help with things like labor, but also to help heal injuries. They were the doctor and they were also the kin keepers. So they were the ones who are kind of like doing the work that often gets forgotten um, or becomes invisible today that women and non-binary people are still expected to take on uh, without compensation. So if we think about a potion and we think about herbalism, like even making a tea, um, is that not a potion? Right. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to see how we can extrapolate something that, um, is actually like pretty academic and probably passed down from generation to generation, person to person, not necessarily taught in a school or, um, you know, at college, but just sort of like folk lore, folk knowledge, um, can kind of become articulated into something like, which is making potions. That's kind of, that's like what stories do, right? That's what myths do.
0: Cool. This is awesome. So let's talk about you as the incredible entrepreneur. You're very organized. I see on your social media that you're always using Notion, which I've been very interested in uh, trying out. So I'd love to kind of switch gears a little bit from astrology, witch talk, learning history lessons to you today as an entrepreneur, as someone that runs her own business. And I want to first start with the topic of organization because a lot of people listening right now, maybe they work for themselves or they work for another business, but Organization, especially working from home these days has been a struggle for a lot of us, including myself, honestly. So have you always been a very organized person? And how do you have the most optimal organization uh, tools and habits to optimize your day?
1: Um, well, thank you for thinking that I'm an organized person. Cause I'm definitely not. I'm oh, glad is that why you, you use
0: notion then? Okay. So maybe you're not organized and then you use it to be organized, but either yeah. Way, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you know, when I was a dancer, I, <laughs> I had this interesting learning that my best teachers, the teachers who like could get me just like say one thing that would fix me and like get me from doing whatever, a triple pirouette to five pirouettes were always the least talented. You know, they're the ones with the least, they had to work the hardest to like get to where they were. And I think that's why I'm a good teacher when it comes to organization and creating systems, because it's not natural for me. I like really have to study and understand, um, how that stuff works and it doesn't come easy to me. Um, so I think I, I can be helpful to other people who are maybe similar. I, like I said, have ADHD and I have epilepsy. So I have things going on in my brain that make it really difficult for me to think in a linear way that the way that like a maybe average person thinks. And um I've always thought it was a special skill because I've been really creative and I've been able to see solutions that other people haven't been able to see. But then I would have these things like you know I'd get a parking ticket and I wouldn't pay it even though I had plenty of money to pay it. And then... I would get a call from the collections agency six months later and be like, oh, this is... and that happened so many times. You know, silly things like that, where I was losing money or wasting part of my time, just feeling irresponsible and like I was lazy or stupid, but also knowing that I'm I'm none of those things. And um, in order to keep up with other people or to surpass other people, to move past other people, I really needed to like level the playing field and make sure that, Stupid shit like that wasn't keeping holding me back, right? Like something silly, like not replying to an email, that could be an amazing opportunity, which happens, right? Especially if you have a squiggly brain, I like to call them. Like that could be the difference between your business taking off and your business being at the same place or plateauing for the next year. So, um, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Like that's, that's why I care so much about it. And I help a lot of intuitive entrepreneurs who can really relate to that struggle, um, find the systems that work for that.
0: Love this. It feels so aligned. It feels so aligned. And I guess I would love to ask for these quote squiggly brains I love that term that you coined um how so is notion your like some actionable tips maybe for the audience like is notion the platform you use I use Asana I don't know if you've used Asana yeah. like what kind of things do you suggest
1: people use Oh girl I've used every single platform I worked in tech so I went from being a professional ballet dan- modern dancer to working in tech, just like a slight p- pivot, and then starting my own company. So yeah, I've worked with like e- ClickUp, Asana, Basecamp, like every Monday, everything. Um, and I hated all of them because I'm also like such an a design person, like such an aesthetic person. It needs to be beautiful, or else I'm just not going to use it. And I that's kind of just how my brain works. I I feel like you could probably relate.
0: Yes, yes, <laughs> I can relate. I do like Asana a lot. I tried downloading Notion once, and it was too complicated. And maybe that's just because I was impatient and I just wanted like a template. I know there are loads of <laughs> templates out there and maybe you even have some, but like, so is it actually hard? Like tell no, us. No, it's below. not it's hard. Not. Okay.
1: It's really not. So the thing about Notion is that it's basically like completely customizable. So you're truly starting from a blank page most of the time, mm-hmm. but it has, it's, it's like a different way of thinking. And once you step into that way of thinking, it it'll blow your mind and change your life. And I teach classes um, called Notion for Magical Baddies. We probably had like 3,000 people go through them. And I would say, I'd say like 75% of the time I hear from students that like this, it changed their life. Like it's it's pretty, I've never used a tool that just across so many disparate groups of people, um, especially non-technical people is so life-changing and transformative you can be a student, you can be a business owner, you can be a content creator. And it's still... You don't have to be a designer. You don't have to be tech savvy. It can still be like this incredible tool. Um, So I like it a lot because it works as a really great background or practical implementation of what we teach, which is how to create systems that work for you. Because for most of us, the systems that surround us are not made for us. Like yeah. Think about even, I know that you um, dropped out of college, right? Or you didn't end up finishing college. Yeah. That system did not support you and the right. way that you think and the way that like helps you grow. But, <laughs> but everyone says that you have to go to college to be successful, right? Yeah. And there's yeah. so many examples of things like of, that's that's a huge one, but even these like tiny, Micro ways that systems and the way the way of doing things that work for so many regular linear-brained people, but don't work for a lot of us who are non-linear, squiggly-brained, creative, left-brained geniuses, and it makes us feel stupid and incompetent and lazy and like we're never going to be successful. So, part of it's kind of a twofold approach: first, noticing what systems <laughs> exist in the world that just don't work for me. And then how can I make systems that are customized to me that will set me up for success? So one that we're seeing a lot of is like people not wanting to go back to work in an office. Yeah. And realizing that, oh, like going to work at nine and leaving at five and having a huge office where I get interrupted all day is actually <laughs> weird, not best for me. And getting my work done, um, how interesting. Like maybe that means that you are a nonlinear thinker. I think it's really cool.
0: So cool. And you're so right. Like, why do we have these systems that are designed for the whole world when everyone works so differently? I think, I don't know about you, but I struggled a lot in any type of school environment, any type of, um, you know, even like doing dance class when I was a kid <laughs> talking about dance, you being a mm-hmm. professional dancer, I, we have family videos of me at six years old and in, in ballet class and all of the little girls were running around in one circle. And I was on the outside of the circle, running around the other way. I, I was very much so not not liking the, uh, the status quo. So um, were you like, I feel like, were you good at school? Did you go to uni? Tell me a bit about when you were younger.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was like the classic overachiever, super anxious, super perfectionist, never thought for myself because I was, and was terrified for of thinking for myself. And yeah, I had like a 4.8 GPA when I graduated from high school. But I also like started having seizures at that point in my life because I was so stressed. And I feel like it was just I was like hanging on so hard, like just trying to keep up with everyone else. And um like we're all intelligent in our own unique ways. And um and I I happen to be like pretty book smart, I would say too. But I just really found that normal school was not the place for me to truly learn. I could regurgitate what you told me. I could memorize. I could act the part of being a great student. But was I really learning? Like I'm, I love philosophy. I love trying to understand things. That sort of environment is what makes me grow as an individual. And it wasn't until I went to art school. And studied dance that I really, I feel like for the first time in my life truly learned, and that's because I was outside of a normal classroom.
0: So interesting, and I totally agree. You know, it's really not for everyone. Are you comfortable talking about this epilepsy thing? Because this is so, this is a big life moment for you.
1: You were seventeen, you said. Yeah. Yeah. I just. How did it happen? Yeah, I just turned seventeen, and. I actually had been having, so there's lots of different types of seizures and one in 10 people have a seizure disorder. So it's very common. Um, Epilepsy is like very mysterious in that there are potentially so many triggers um and so many reasons that we might have seizures, but there's not a cure and they just, your neurologist will likely just put you on a medication that you will be on for the rest of your life that has contraindications and other wonderful... <laughs> symptoms and side effects attached to it. But I'd been having... There's two types of seizures, primarily uh, grand mal and petite mal seizures. Um Petite mal seizures are basically like blackouts or brownouts. It's where your eyes are open. You look like you're paying attention, um, but you are not there. It's like your brain just powers down and then mm-hmm. it'll power back in. So I had those pretty much from... As young as I can remember. And I thought that's what zoning out was. <laughs> so, you know, it's a it's a such a good example of like so many things that we think are normal. And then we sort of compare ourselves and our experiences with other people. And we're like, oh, wow. Okay. Wait, it's really easy for you to pay a parking ticket as soon as you get it. How interesting. Doesn't mean that I'm a bad person, that you know, that's hard for me. It's just that I have a different experience. So that had been happening my whole life. And Then, when I was seventeen, I started having these grand mal seizures. And basically, what would happen is you get an aura often before you have a seizure. Have you ever had a migraine headache?
0: Uh, I don't know if I want to call it migraine because it wasn't like I've had bad headaches, but I don't think like a serious migraine where I can't even speak. So no, I, I don't think I've experienced. Right.
1: Um, yeah. I hope that that, that is your experience for the rest of your life, but sometimes migraine sufferers also have auras. Often they do. Oh,
0: wow. So wait, what's and an aura? Tell me is it like, you mean aura? Like, a, like,
1: yeah, it's a precursor to some sort of event, so a seizure event, a migraine, something like that. And it depends on where in your brain for me, um, your seizures are my, my Seizure activities in my temporal lobe, which is like back here, right? And that controls hearing. It's one of the things that it controls. So before I'd have a seizure, I would lose my hearing in both my ears, but I wouldn't go deaf. I would, it basically (laughs) sounds so weird, but it was basically like in a movie, you know, how when people can like read minds or something, they can hear, they walk into a room and they can hear the thoughts of everyone in the room. That was like what would happen when I would, right before I'd have a seizure. So I, I could be talking to you. We'd be, you know, 10, 10 inches away from each other, having a conversation. And then I wouldn't be able to hear you all of a sudden. I could see your lips moving, but I wouldn't hear you. And I would hear all of these voices in the room. Um, but like in my ears, underwater is what it kind of sounded like. Wow. And that would happen for about 30 seconds. And I would know that I was about to have a seizure because that's my aura. Um, and then I'd have a grand mal seizure, which is like types of seizures you see on Grey's Anatomy or something like that, where someone's shaking and you know their eyes roll to the back of their head, and it's very traumatic for other people, not so traumatic for you because you're asleep. So, um, most of the time, I'd wake up on the ground and be like, God, I'm so I can't believe I just fell asleep, and um, there would be like people that were horrified. <laughs> So, you know, not the, not the cutest thing to happen, especially when you're in high school and you're like, oh my God, did did my crush see my underwear when my skirt flew up when I was having my seizure? That was, you know, my primary concern. Um, But yeah, that would be what would happen. So I would get these auras and they would happen wherever. They'd happen in class. They'd happen um, while I was on the subway. They would happen while I was taking the stairs. They would happen whenever I was really stressed or really tired, um, before an audition and yeah, sort of like wreak havoc on my life for a couple of days. And, um, it was really intense.
0: That's so crazy. That's crazy. So how, how obviously taking the the pills and going to your doctor help, but have you, have you had one since, or it was more when you were younger and now you're just taking your prescription?
1: Well, I'm like a pretty practical person. I'm hopefully you can tell from this conversation. Um, but I'm also into obviously witchcraft and what other people might call like the woo stuff. I try not to call it that because I feel it can be like a little derogatory. Um, but I got into more spiritual stuff when I was living in New York. And I'd like I said, I'd always been into like astrology and you know, I went to religious school, but I grew up learning world religions and being agnostic when it came to spirituality in general, just kind of being like, yeah, I feel like there's a, like a lot of stuff that's right out there. I don't think any one person has it totally right. And like, maybe we should just cover our bases and kind of like take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know? Um, but I'd been having seizures for probably seven or eight years. And... <laughs> um This is like so indicative of my life at the time. I was living in Brooklyn as a dancer, and I had a drag queen friend who was like, You have to go see my shaman. (laughs) And I was like, Sorry, what? (laughs) What do you mean? We live in the middle of New York. What do you mean, shaman? And uh, she was like, You just have to go see my shaman. She's amazing. You're going to love her. She's a healer, and she does past life regression with you. And she, like, will heal whatever your thing is. Like and you see you go, you should go for your seizures. And I was also going through a really bad breakup. And I I'd, I'd had this crazy thing happen where a couple of my friends um died over like the same summer. And it was just like horrible. It was a really hard time in my life. Yeah. So I was like, you know what, at this point, I'll try anything. Right. That's that's what happens, right? We we reach that moment where we're like, okay, throwing my hands up. I'm just gonna like surrender to is gonna happen next. So I went and saw this shaman and sat on their table and told them, you know, my story, my things. And they worked on me. And I thought I was like asleep for five minutes. And I woke up like three hours later. And <laughs> they're like, okay, we had to like clear a lot of stuff. And there was some past life stuff, but you're good. Um, you know, your seizures happen because you're out of alignment. Like you're, it's every time you try to go in the opposite direction of what your soul wants to do, your body is basically saying, uh-uh, nope, <laughs> nope, no, no, that we're not doing that. Shut her down. And it's giving you signals and signs and you are really, really sensitive. And lots, everyone gets these signals and signs all the time, but we're not paying attention to them. You, because you're a dancer, you're really in tune with your body. And that's the only thing you really pay attention to. So your, guess what? (laughs) Your soul's like, cool. If you're only going to pay attention when we shut down your body, great. We can both play that. We can play that game. Let's do it. And their advice to me was to start listening to my intuition. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? I thought, I'm like, I'm a professional dancer. I would think that it's not like I took a traditional route into work and life. I've totally, I feel like followed my heart. Yeah. And, um, that was sort of the beginning of, of all the questions and, and like really asking myself, what is intuition and what is my soul's purpose and how can I like stay in alignment with that in a really conscious way?
0: That is crazy, Michelle. Wow. Oh my gosh. That is an yeah. amazing story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I like to be the Guinea pig. So, yeah, um, you know, other people thing. don't have to have go through horrible, like physical, diseases and issues. And my husband is very similar. My husband has brain cancer and um, we actually bonded when we first met over seizures because he also has seizures and he came to the same learning and the same lesson probably like a year before we met that like really his brain tumor and his cancer came from being out of alignment. Um, And, and of course there's other things too, but it, it, it jolted him back into like purpose um so these things like are horrible but they can also be gifts.
0: That's so that perspective as well like I I believe in that too by the way I believe that your body is so much more intelligent than people think and totally. um on a completely non-extreme level I've when I go through moments of being deeply self-conscious and not liking myself and I have a big past of self-hatred when I was younger and eating disorders and stuff these bumps on my arms come up intensely mm-hmm. Had in my whole life, ever since I was 11 years old, when those thoughts and self-hatred started coming through and be- like thankfully when I started doing this work six years ago, they started slowly going away. And then I noticed that when I'm feeling really good about myself and feeling present and grateful, they go away completely. Mm-hmm. And then when I go back to those old negative um, ways of thinking and thoughts, they come back. Like clockwork. So a similar
1: That's but totally different thing. Interesting. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. I I have so many thoughts on, <laughs> on it. I have noticed, I don't know if like this is like totally anecdotal, but I've noticed for tons of women that I know that I've met in LA and New York and all over that skin stuff, like unexplained skin things will happen when they are like not listening. Yeah. Or it's almost like it's, yeah, like maybe our bodies are like, okay, I know that you want to, you want to look a certain way and you're not paying attention to me. So like, I'm going to give you this thing that you don't like and yeah. make you pay attention. Um, maybe that's the, like sort of extreme or spiritual perspective. But I also think like, you know, in our bodies somatically, when we're out of alignment and we, we can, we, our bodies have a natural intelligence to your point. Um, our subconscious has an intelligence and a library of knowledge and wisdom that we don't consciously tap into very often. And I think that um, our bodies often know before we we sort of consciously know or understand that something's off or something's wrong. So maybe the less spiritual perspective is that shift in stress um and dis-ease. Uh, you know, it's like putting sand in. I don't know, and like a yeah. microchip or something. And like it can mess things up yeah. um, easily. Whatever way you want to think about it, I think the the bottom line is clear. Like yeah. often when it's something isn't right, that manifests physically.
0: I've learned through my research on this topic that it's energy that influences matter. It's not matter that influences energy. Actually, energy is the first thing to influence matter. And One of the coolest books that I've read on this, and it's totally science-backed, which is so interesting because some of those people out there that think, oh no, like there's no mind-body connection. That's too out there, whatever. It's all science-backed. It's called Mind to Matter by Dawson Church. And there are all these studies in there. And it's just so interesting. Must read for everyone listening, um, including yourself, if you haven't read it. It It's a really, really cool book. And it talks all about this. I'll check that out. That sounds really
1: really great. There's a cool study that my husband was just telling me about. Uh, he has a very rare form of brain cancer, and uh, they found that people who were on an antidepressant drug had a much higher rate of success and reaching like um, a longer lifespan. And they weren't sure if it was the drug or if just because people were happier and had a more positive outlook on life. And they could not, they couldn't say like. It's because of Prozac. Like that Prozac has some anti-cancer. It probably doesn't. It's probably that they just felt happier. They felt more connected. Um, I, I, just, I was like, that is that's amazing. Um, and and I also like have to be honest with you, Mimi. I sometimes really struggle with the mind-body connection thing when I talk to my friends who are like have chronic illnesses, you know, mm-hmm. and who are like doing everything that they possibly can. Um, to be better, like to to be healthy. They're like, they're like, I've dropped all the toxic people in my life. I'm like trying, I'm trying to be in alignment, but I'm still really sick. And I I like I feel like I don't have an I definitely don't have an answer because I'm not a doctor and I'm not a healer, but I do kind of struggle with that. And it does make me question like, well, what does that mean? Because I certainly don't think it's their fault. Like I don't Mm -hmm. think it's my fault that I had seizures. I don't think it's your fault that your skin breaks out. I don't think it's my husband's fault that he has brain cancer. Um, so I, I, the, that's something that is still mysterious to me. I don't know. What do you think?
0: I I agree with you. It's mysterious to me as well. I Have you seen the documentary called Heal? Yes.
1: yes. <laughs>
0: and I saw it a long time ago. I actually had the woman Kelly on the podcast years ago, and it just, I just thought about this now because we're talking about this, and yeah. you know maybe it goes back to our initial conversation in this podcast. Of kind of goes down to your beliefs and like what you want to choose to believe. Because what I know for sure is that the placebo effect is more powerful than anyone you know would think, and yeah. there are tangible studies that prove that. And I think it comes down to that. I don't know, you know, I actually have no idea, but. I, when I think about my, my arm skin and I, then I start doing the things that, that I know make me feel better. And it goes away. Then I believe in the mind body connection, like nothing else. When I think about how energy influences matter, then I'm like, okay, I feel like I can have, I have the power to create my, my future and it empowers me. So I decide to believe that, but I don't know what to answer you because I, I agree with you. You know, I've met people that have sickness as well. And they're amazing people and they're trying everything. But then in that documentary, I remember there was one woman who was trying everything and, and then I haven't seen this documentary in years, but she started, she was getting chemo and Mm. she wasn't not going to get chemo because she thinks she can just heal herself, but she was getting chemo with the intention. This is healing me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I'm, I have no answer for you. I actually don't know. And I'm still trying to figure it out, but yeah, I, I, I really don't. Yeah. I think it is damaging though, to tell people like, Oh, well you have your issue because of your own emotion. Like, I don't know. I wouldn't oh my say God. that. I would never yes. say that, but no. I don't know. I think it just depends on each person, what they want to believe and what they want to, what makes them feel like good about it. You know?
1: Yeah. And I mean, it it sucks. Like I can say as a chronically ill person to have someone be like, this is the best yeah. thing that could happen to you, you know, or like yeah, no, what no. a gift you have. You're like, yeah, oh, no. fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I have to also say like, it is, it has been the best gift. I mean, like, And maybe that's just because we choose to see it that way. Right. My husband, you deciding
0: for yourself to say that not someone else telling you, like, I I think people should mind their own business a little bit more. You know what (laughs) I mean? Like if I was sick and someone said, oh, well, it's because of this unresolved trauma. I'm like, let me figure that out. Like, even if that is the truth, like I don't like telling people that's part of it. Right. I don't like telling people what their reality is. I'm I like to take self self-responsibility for for my beliefs and stuff. I think it's so mean that some people tell like in the spiritual community will tell others like you have this because of you. And it's kind of just, you know, I don't know.
1: No, I totally agree. And I think it really turns people off to spiritual, like the sort of modern spirituality that we see a lot of the time that often is people trying to sell something to yeah. somebody else, right? Like this is your fault and the solution is my program or my hack right. or my supplements or my way of doing things. And they might have some like, you know, spark of true altruism at the root of that, but it can feel fear-mongering to, for the purpose of like making some cash off of someone right. who's desperate, yeah. you know?
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So I don't have the answer. I <laughs>
1: definitely, <laughs> definitely don't <laughs> But I always try to think, you know, like, I'm so, I'm so lucky that I had like all these resources. And that was one of the reasons I started Holisticism because I walked out of my session with this shaman and I just knew that I was never going to have another seizure the same way that I'd had seizures before. I just knew my life was going to be different. You I couldn't explain it. Different. I felt different. I just knew, like, I just knew that it was going to be, it was going to be different.
0: Sense? Have you seen no. the shaman since?
1: That was a lot like first and last time we ever saw each other. We've like texted a little bit, but that was it but i also thought like wow i've been to so many neurologists i've been to so many doctors i'm a white woman living in like you know a middle class <laughs> existence i was living in the middle of new york and i hadn't found anyone who could help me and i i i'd basically been told you're going to take this medication for the rest of your life um that by the way had symptoms like you're going to have a really hard time getting pregnant. I'm currently six months pregnant. Um, Congratulations.
0: Your... That's you. amazing. Thank
1: you. Yeah. But your short-term memory is going to be affected, which like when you're a professional dancer and your like, mm-hmm. only job is to be skinny and then like, remember choreography, <laughs> not an ideal situation. Um, and like, that's just it. And, and like, it might give you depression or anxiety and change your personality, but like, yeah, you probably won't have seizures anymore. And, um, yeah, you can probably expect it. Like you'll have a seizure in your sleep and you will that's what why you'll die at some point. Oh, they told you that? Yeah, and that there's no cure for this thing that you have. There's no way to cure it. Um, you know, I am such a privileged person. Like I'm in the upper, upper echelons of privilege. And I felt like I just had this miracle of stumbling upon this person who could help me after so many people told me like, sucks to suck, you just are gonna be sick for the rest of your life. Um, that I wanted to like make that world as accessible as possible to as many people as possible. And it was crazy to me that, <laughs> that me, like it was so hard for me, someone with all of my resources to find answers. And I'm conscious of that when I tell my story, because it was the reason I started holisticism. I wanted to make wellness more accessible to more people by talking about it more and sort of destigmatizing it, demystifying it, and then creating resource and access. But there's so much complexity in the world. And a lot of the time, the nuance is missing from these conversations.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a beautiful place to end off, I think, on this podcast. I love the work you're doing. This is a really great episode and I can't wait for everyone to listen to it. Where can they find you, Michelle? Where can they find holisticism and connect with you more?
1: Yeah. Just find us on Instagram, Holisticism. And um, you can find me at Michelle Palazon. And I think that's pretty much it. We teach classes and um, have a giant community of wellness lovers. Um, and we have a podcast called The 12th House, which Mimi was just an, a, a guest expert on. So <laughs> go listen to it.
0: Yes. Thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on. This was an awesome episode. And congratulations again on the pregnancy. That's so exciting.